Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown. One podcast at a time. Voting isn't just going to the polls on election day anymore. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot and empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. Hey everyone, Josh here from Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Have you been to our website, fearscapepodcast.com? There you can check out our store with all of our awesome t-shirts, check out guests that have been on the show, listen to the podcast directly on the website, even donate and help us bring you awesome content. Please consider supporting us, fearscapepodcast.com. Hey everyone, Josh here. Do you feel like mainstream options for things such as yoga, meditation, or documentaries and films meant to expand your mind are lacking? Have you heard of Gaia? Gaia is the largest resource of consciousness-expanding videos. Both Stefan and I have watched several of the series, documentaries, and films available on topics such as the Secret Space Program, Channeling Interdimensional Beings, and Alien Encounters. We're just now exploring the over 8,000 films, shows, and classes available to stream on your favorite devices. To get your 10-day free trial of Gaia, go to fearscapepodcast.com slash Gaia offer. Again, that's fearscapepodcast.com slash G-A-I-A offer. Hello, I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts, cryptids, aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep. Into the fear scale, fear scale, fear scale. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special bonus episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. This is Stefan, one of your hosts from Fearscape, and we are getting close to the 100th episode of our show. And to celebrate, we are premiering a series of episodes called The Road to 100, Days Gone By, where we let you listen to episodes from Fearscape Past, from our old radio show, Fearscape FM, and more. And there may even be a few surprises, things that have never even been heard before. We hope you enjoy this archived episode of Fearscape, and remember, hold those blankets extra tight. The following program is presented for entertainment purposes. WCHQ does not necessarily endorse the ideas presented. 
Fearscape is a program that explores the legends and lore around many creepy and scary things. Information is researched and presented in an entertainment fashion and is presented based off of what we found. Legends have a way of changing over time. So, beware. Welcome back to Fearscape FM here on WCHQ FM 100.9 on the radio dials. On the radio dials where you find the creepy, that's us. That's right. You're home for all the creepy, weird, haunted, paranormal, occulty, conspiracy. Or if you just want to sit down and talk. Yeah. If you just want to to stuff all your chest, you know, we're here for you. We're here for you. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And speaking of that, uh, my name is Stefan Gearhart. I'm your host, and I'm joined here by my other host, Mr. Brad McQuery, also primary researcher for this here program. That's right. Thank you again for tuning in. Uh, If you have not listened to our last episode, uh, you can uh, go back and listen to that to get a little more foundation after listening to this one. We do stream online at WCHQFM.com. And the app. And the app. Yep. You can get on there and find that and listen to part one of Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Sanatorium. You yeah, yeah, baby. Uh, so anyways, like we said, uh, my name is Stefan, and we're here with Brad and me and you and, and all the ghosts of this building here. There it's is crazy. a ghost in this building. Creeps me out. Speaking of creeps, uh, let's talk about a little bit of creepy ketchup. Oh, yeah. I actually got something this week. All right. So normally we talk about if we've had weird things happen to us. Uh, yeah. For those of you that tuned into the first episode, you know we talk. We have had a lot of experiences, paranormal, uh, alienistic. I love that word I made up. Uh, <laughs> things like that throughout the years as children and things like that that have happened to us that helped us kind of uh, get involved in all of this. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, each week we like to talk about to see if we've had any experiences uh, of the paranormal happen mm-hmm. to us. And you said that you indeed had something. Yeah, this is actually something that happened uh, not too long ago and I just totally forgot about it last week so I'm bringing it forward this week uh, I suffer from something called night hack syndrome as do I yeah as and do I. to anybody that doesn't know what night hack syndrome is essentially it's being in an asleep but awake state you can see hear and smell but you can't physically move your body and right. a lot it's, of times it's more associated with the scientific terms um uh forgot it's a paralysis sleep paralysis yeah sleep paralysis. sorry i completely lost because i'm starting to think of night hag is is a more old term yeah um, because a lot of times it's associated with some sort of haggish creature or mm-hmm. demon or things like that that tends to accompany some sleep paralysis survivors yeah and then also uh if you've ever seen anything about alien abductions or just hauntings in general sleep paralysis or night hag syndrome often happens prior to the event itself yeah two great examples of that is the movie the fourth kind oh, i love that movie they talk about that as well as there's a great documentary on uh netflix called nightmare, nightmare. yeah I and love it, nightmare. it talks about um uh, sleep hag night hag uh, and sleep paralysis so m- i've had these happen since i was probably about 12 years old was my first encounter with night hag syndrome and it's haunted me t- into my adult life and continues so this one happened not too long ago. I was laying in bed. Um, my wife gets up to go to the gym pretty early in the morning. So from about 4 a.m. to about 6 a.m., I'm by myself. And I just remember the room going really cold and then waking up. But I couldn't move. And above me were six hooded figures. Oh, creepy. Just surrounding my bed. Like Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars? Almost, but there was no lightning involved. So that made me feel somewhat <laughs> safe. And I remember being able to move my head just enough to look towards my hallway. And from the hallway, I watched a woman in a white gown, which is very common yeah, in Night Yeah, that's Hag a syndrome. very classic, uh, not just in Night Hag, but in hauntings. Yeah. Um, kind of come into the hallway, look into the bedroom. I'm assuming she saw the six figures and was like, eh, you guys got this. Yeah, who, who doesn't look moving. at six figures and be like, yeah. Just hovering there. <laughs> and... Uh, normally you just have to wait till it goes away and break out of it. I was fortunate that my dog actually came up underneath the covers and started like scratching my face. So that broke me out of it. And when I broke out, you know, they were gone and all that. Um, the only evidence I really have that something was definitely going on that's unexplained 
and wasn't just a dream is the heat was on in the house. Mm -hmm. So the house was sitting at about 70 degrees. But in the room, the bedroom I was in, I could see my breath. Ooh, that's creepy. So it had to have dropped at least 20, 30 degrees in that room just from those figures. That's another classic thing is a temperature Mm -hmm. uh, drop um, because they tend to steal the energy out of the air, making it colder. Man, I'm sorry, dude. That's kind of creepy. You know, you live and then you move on and then it happens again. uh... (laughs) (laughs) It's frightening every single time. Uh, We will definitely devote an episode to that for sure down the road. (laughs) Now I'm Uh scared. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, um, sorry to hear that. And uh, but in that case, I'm going to make you feel better by getting into this week's spooky news. I don't know how this is going to make me feel any better. Yeah, so uh, this week's spooky news, uh, this is super crazy. It comes from uh, a website, I believe, called freaklore.com. Freaklore.com. Yeah. Okay. uh, They they just kind of gather any paranormal stories. Um, I actually found this originally on Huffington Post, but it was linked from Freaklore. But the story is is that uh, these new homeowners in Iowa, when they moved into the home, found footage of a demonic possession. Really now? Yeah. So uh, where this originated from is unclear, but it was posted on the YouTube channel Cody. So that's C-O-D-Y. So when searching for this on YouTube, make sure to put in Cody uh, when you're searching for a channel because it's Mm -hmm. on his channel. Uh, Allegedly, this is eight millimeter footage of a man who was possessed by a demonic force of some kind. The film dates back to 1973 and was discovered by these new homeowners uh, because inside their home in the attic, they found a canister of eight millimeter film. And uh, not only did it have film, but it had audio recordings as well. What? Yeah. Who this person is, and I'm showing you a picture of, oh, oh, of a no. screen capture from oh. the video. I watched the video, and it, it's frightening. Um, who this person is and whether or not this is real remains a complete mystery, uh, according to the, to the uh, news source here. It's disturbing to watch this. Okay. The picture's disturbing. Because the man himself is very, very disturbing. His physical appearance is astounding, and he twists and turns in terror and torment, and it's absolutely frightening. It's in black and white, which makes it even creepier. Uh, and the camera pans around to a dark room where a man is seen laying on a bed. His face is grotesque. His body is frail. And uh, according to the description on YouTube, the family from Iowa, they said they found this, like I said, upstairs in the attic. And it was the husband who went upstairs to kind of load things up there and found it and uh, went ahead and played it because they found a projector as well and was absolutely frightened by the bizarre film. Uh, and so it is assumed that he later transferred the film over to video and uploaded it online. Uh, it was posted on YouTube back on July 5th, 2011. Uh, from what was written, the husband refused his family to watch this footage. And so perhaps he uploaded it online to get more information about it uh, because the man in the film is still unknown. They still have no idea. I don't like any of that. Yeah, and no one knows if this is legitimate or not because it sat on YouTube for a long time before it got noticed yeah um, which is why it's in the news right now it's like all of a sudden picked up steam somehow it got noticed um but if this is legitimate uh researchers say that this is one of the best documented demonic positions ever seen positions sorry possessions (laughs) positions are very different um but why this man was possessed they don't know uh they don't know like what there's no information they don't know if a priest was contacted to conduct an exorcism if he got any help if he died or if he just died from starvation no one knows anything or if it's some kind of seance that's gone there's no information so okay so just so i'm getting this correct the footage was found by homeowners and then uploaded to the youtube medias yeah so uh so here, here here's the thing um so the question always asked on this is, how did the video make its way onto the internet? Yeah, well, that's according to Cody, the guy that runs the YouTube channel, okay. he says, I came into contact with this family um, years ago through a family friend. They all know that I'm into the paranormal and things like that and have been for a long time, so they figured it'd be something that I'd be interested in. And after having the footage for 30 plus years, they were kind enough to give it to me. So they had it for quite some time. And so it didn't get uploaded until 2011. So let's see, if they had it for 30 years... Yeah, so this had to be like, wow, this had to be, 
then they should have known who who the person was. Yeah, but they said the that 80s? they, you know, the the whole family, everything. There was no story, so no I don't one like knows. That. Yeah, and so no one knows. And uh, from, from it looked pretty good, yeah. to be honest with you. And uh, it didn't look. A lot of people are saying it's pretty accurate. Um, especially for an eight millimeter film for some of the effects and, and things like that look too good uh, for that time. Yeah. That, that's kind of how I'm sitting here right now. I'm, I'm kind of skeptical about it a little bit because it is on YouTube and the story claims that it was held for 30 years. So the best way to find this is to uh, go to YouTube and just type in Cody, C-O-D-Y, and then type in new homeowners, find footage of demonic possession. That helps. Or even Google search it, and the Huffington Post or the Freak Lore uh, should come up on that as well. Uh, but you should be able to find his his channel. It's just called Cody. So. so it was Cody new homeowners found footage? Yeah. Or you could probably just put Cody demonic possession in there. Like I said, I found it on Google uh, through Huffington Post, so. Yeah, I don't feel like doing a deep dive right now. Yeah, don't. don't. <laughs> watch that on your own when you're home alone. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. And the <laughs> six-footed figures can come hang out with me while I watch it. So uh, now that I've given you some creepy, spooky news, today we're going to be talking about part two of Waverly. Okay? <sighs> the horrors. All the haunting stories, the legends, and everything that surrounds. Last week we talked about the history. Mm-hmm. So this week we're going to talk about the legends and the horrors. And uh, So n- not all of this is uh, fabricated legend nonsense that was just passed down. Some of this has historical record. Yeah, absolutely. And so just some of the experiments and things that were done at this hospital, we're going to be talking about. And like I said, if you haven't listened to episode one and you want some history on Waverly, uh, either wait... Uh, to listen to this online and go ahead now and go listen to the online version of episode one or just go back and listen to episode one after the fact and just get the history secondary. But you can do that. Also, make sure to listen to the end of this episode as we're going to have another listener story. Uh, This one is a really, really cool one. This comes from a listener named Tracy. So we're going to be talking about that as well uh, and sharing that listener story. So stick around. But uh, if you're ready, Brad, I'd love to get into the horrors of Waverly. Let's get it cracking, Daddy. I don't think I'll ever say that again in my life. That was weird. Yeah, it's okay. You can still say it. (laughs) So last week we covered the history, and this week we'll be actually diving into the hauntings, both legend and real. So what makes this place so spooky? So the primary paranormal phenomenon that we see at Waverly Hills is what you would call a residual haunting. Now... Stephen, do you know the difference between residual and uh, intelligent hauntings and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, we, we touched on that very briefly in the first episode, yeah. but didn't explain it. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, residual is more like an echo, mm-hmm. kind of like a, a, a picture show or yeah. a, a, just a replay of a movie. Things that happen in sequence or or there's nothing really there. It's more of, like I said, an echo or a projection. Yeah, exactly. Whereas intelligent tends to fall in the line of more demons, but some spirits can also be intelligent where they can interact with you. Uh, and be on the plane with you at that moment and have interactions. Yep, that's pretty much exactly it. So with residual hauntings, a lot of times these are caused because the events, um, especially in stone buildings, they're very common really? in stone buildings. Interesting. Um, stone, especially limestone, has a way of, of absorbing the energy and essentially That's interesting. Here we are in out. a high limestone area. Mm-hmm. Uh, may explain some of what has happened and why that area could be. I mean, especially the hills are filled with limestone. Oh, yeah. Karst topography here, and there's a ton of limestone. Oh, yeah, there absolutely is. So that essentially, like you said, works as a projector, takes the information it's stored, and when the conditions are met just right, that information is reproduced out into the environment. So like a lot of legends where you hear about seeing this person walk into a room or walks towards a room, looks at you, then walks into the room. Or you hear knocking at a certain time of night right, constantly. It's always the same thing. It's always the same thing. Those are residuals. Intelligence are going to be the ones that interact with you, um, call and response type things for EVP sessions. And then when you ask it to do something, it does it. Um, those those aren't as common as residuals, but they're definitely the most interesting. Right, and Waverly is known to have both. Yeah, Waverly definitely has both. And they also um, have demonic hauntings as well, which oh. can fall under the intelligent hauntings sure so with 63,000 deaths within one structure uh you get a lot more residual hauntings 
So we will cover those spirits and, and that, also that's one just the TB dark. hospital. That's just the TB hospital. Yeah, that's not including the geriatric home because we don't we don't really know how many people passed away there. You know, Waverly Hills, the TB deaths, they were kept pretty tight on record. Right. So there's different treatments and stages of tuberculosis. So this is I feel like this is really important we get into now to explain uh, kind of what caused some of these hauntings to be as severe as they are. So here's kind of a breakdown of the patients that arrived at Waverly. 25% of the patients were what you call first or early stages. Now, these ones were often treated, treated pretty easily with just rest, fresh air, good food, and competent medical supervision. Yeah, competent. Competent, sure. yes. <laughs> uh, 27% were in second stage, where essentially the same type of provisions were needed in terms of rest, fresh air, good food, and competent medical supervision, only you needed a little more of it in terms of rest and all that. Now, 47% of those that went to Waverly were, were what you called advanced or last stages of infection. And these were things get really dark. So TB was something newish to us, and we really didn't know how to treat it. So this place literally became a factory of trial and error when it comes to finding out how to cure this disease. Right. We talked about um, this being very similar to the AIDS outbreak in yeah. the 80s, where at the beginning when they called it GRID, they didn't know anything about it. And had this happened at this time, I think the AIDS outbreak would have been even worse. Yeah, it absolutely uh, would have Just been. because of how it, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, there's m multiple ways to spread um, HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. And the lack of sanitary tools and you know just the things that were happening back then so much could have happened oh absolutely so let's go ahead and let's roll through some of the treatments uh, that were performed slash experimented on at Waverly so the labidectomy is one of the most common this is where the doctors would surgically remove infected parts of the lung and sometimes would just remove the entire lung itself oh okay so you're just left with one lung or, mm -hmm. or a splotchy lung yeah oh one lung or half a lung or just a splotchy or lung. Or Aqualung. Aqualung. What is Aqualung? What's the Jethro Tull song? Oh. <laughs> I don't know music. <laughs> Have you told me, you know, like Rob Lee? I definitely know some Rob Lee. <laughs> now, the next one is called the Phrenic Nerve Crush. Yeah, what is that? Um, it's a wrestling move they developed in the That's 70s. That's what it sounds like. It's like <laughs> it either sounds like a wrestling move or it sounds like, um, I don't know, some sort of weird drink at a hipster bar. I would drink it. Yeah. I would drink it for sure. Be like, hey, bro, let me get two of those phrenic nerve crushes. Well, because you know it's going to make <laughs> you feel good, and you're going to be hungover tomorrow. No, it sounds like I'm going to be nerve. My nerves are going to be all racked and crushed. <laughs> I'm going to cry. And I'm sorry. I don't want to go to a bar and have a beverage that's going to make me, like, more, more paranoid than I already am. <laughs> well, don't drink absinthe. I've uh, done that before. It was a, it was a great time. <laughs> So what this does is it takes a nerve supply that goes to one of the diaphragms and just cuts it off. So the diaphragm is paralyzed and remains in a paralyzed phase that is higher in the chest. So by doing this, not only are the respiratory movements of the lung diminished, but also due to the rising of the diaphragm in the chest, there is a small decrease in volume of the lung. Now the opposite to the phrenic nerve crush continues to act normally. So this allows the disabled lung to heal while the other lung takes over primary. Oh, okay. I was wondering. So it's not, it doesn't go to both. I, I just can't imagine not having your diaphragm working properly. Like that had to be horrible. It sounds painful. I, yeah. Thinking about this makes me think of like when you're in a swing pool as a kid and you inhale water and mm -hmm. it goes into just one lung. So every time you breathe, it's absolute pain. Yep. Then the other times, you know, the other side feels great. So you feel like one side of your body is about to like just collapse. Yep. Now, a pretty common one um, was called uh, heliotherapy, which is known as sun treatment. Uh, this is pretty common out west as well. Uh, this was used, essentially they would set the, set the patient up uh, in a room that had a lot of sunlight, and the UV rays were used to treat the glands, bones, joints, skin, eyes, and uh, their urinary tract as well. Because they believe that the sun's rays actually kill the bacteria. Yeah, just get a nice tan. Yeah, and that's all you yeah, need. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, out west, there's a lot. There's a lot of stories of those because the desert was so dry, uh, and things like that. It was supposedly supposed to help clear the 
junk out of your lungs and plus the sun treatment and stuff. Absolutely. That yeah. sounds good. Yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. Now, there are some cases. I um, don't recall if I have it on here. No, I don't have it on here. But uh, for that uh, heliotherapy, there are some cases where the infection was so bad they would actually open up their chest cavity ah! and uh, expose it to UV light. That's But awful. it'd be artificial UV light. I don't care. That's disgusting. Yeah. And it's gross. And uh, it, there were bugs. <laughs> and then I'm sure flies were just sitting on your ear cavity. Ugh. Okay, just go on. Move on. <laughs> on to the next one. On to the Sounds next like one. Sounds <laughs> like Hellraiser, dude. Now, the next one was called artificial pneumothorax. Now, this is a method of treatment which consists of introduction of air into the floral cavity. And it's also a big word. It is a very big word. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised I pronounced it. Or the between the coverings of the lungs. And what it would do, it would collapse the diseased area. Ugh. And that would actually lead to a full recovery of the lung. So they essentially kill the lung to resurrect the lung, which would be a really cool thing to do in a movie. That's really gross. <laughs> and this is one that you and I have uh, briefly talked about before that I know you absolutely love. It's called the shot bag. Oh, not the shot bag. Gosh. <laughs> so when we were researching this a little bit, he shared little bits of information with me. And uh, the shot bag just sounds so gross to me. At first, I felt it was like, I don't know, like the uh, the, 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 the storage unit you would hang over a horse or a donkey. <laughs> I was very wrong. I was very wrong. So please tell us about the shot bag. It grosses me out. So the shot bag is a method in which they take a bag containing one pound of shot, which is uh, essentially like a sand or a liquid, whatever they have, which is placed on either collarbone of the patient. And the amount of shot is increased four to five ounces each week until the patient is carrying five pounds of weight on the upper part of each lung. Right. So at first, I was thinking, like I said, it was hung over their shoulders and they were walking. Yeah. And I thought that was so stupid. <laughs> but now I realize they're laying down. It's sitting on top of them. Um, that makes more sense. Hey, uh, Frank, I've noticed that uh, your legs are getting pretty sculpted there, man. Yeah. What you got going on? Well, I got shot bags, eh? Oh, oh you yeah. got shot bags. Oh, yeah, I've been doing the shot bags, eh? Oh, I know. I don't understand how it's supposed to heal my lungs, but, boy, I got calves of steel. Oh, I really like them there, Frank. You, uh, you can probably jump out the window if you wanted an escape. Oh, no. Oh, I ain't got to do that. I'm here for life. Waverly Hills. Hashtag. Hashtag it. One of the hashtag things, then. No. Like, they just pound signed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, pound sign, Waverly Hills. Pound murder. sign. Why were our characters Canadian? I don't know. <laughs> we always seem to go to Canadian. I don't get it. Because yeah, it's fun. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah, mate. Wait, mate? No, you just went Canadian-Australian. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, we all kind of come from the same region. So, um, so what the shot bag was to do was uh, restricts the excursions of the lungs, makes them... Uh, essentially work harder to uh, correct breathing. And then once it's removed, it puts them into a partial rest. So it allows mm -hmm. the lung to heal quicker. Cool. Now, we're going to get into some of the more insane this kind of experimental. This is what I was waiting for, because this is a horror episode. And so far, I'm like, eh, besides opening up the chest cavity, that was pretty nasty. Yeah, now we're going to get into the experimenting. The things that they were like, maybe this will work. Let's see what happens. Now, you one, seem like so excited about it. I am because <laughs> here's the thing. You're just now hearing about most of these. I've been like driven into them for a little while doing the research. Mm -hmm. So I've had to like mull them over my brain over and over again. I've had nightmares. Oh, I've had God. dreams. <laughs> so this one is called a thoracoplasty. Got that one. That one I know that gross. Word. So, and it is disgusting. This is the surgical removal of several rib bones from the chest in order to collapse a lung. This is like Marilyn Manson stuff. Yeah, I don't, I thought that was a rumor. I don't think he actually did that. <laughs> you say rumor, I say true. I say legend. <laughs> legend and lore. Now, when this surgery was commonplace, the average patient required the removal of seven to eight ribs. And most surgeons preferred to only remove two or three at a time, which means that patients would have to endure several procedures before the entire procedure was actually finished. Gosh, you got to think about it. Like, you're already doing all this surgery. Or, I mean, excuse me, you're already dealing with TB. And then you've got to do surgery on top of that. Uh, and yeah. then you're getting ribs removed? Mm-hmm. This place is messed up. 
They're just trying their best, man. It's, I, gu- it's, I guess. It's a different time. It's a newish disease, and everybody's trying to figure out how in the world they're going to combat it. Yeah, and there wasn't really Who's insurance, so everything just got either paid or didn't pay. So <laughs> you just kind of did whatever. Yeah, one thing I learned from my research in terms of uh, stuff like that is a lot of time uh, these hospitals were, like, state-funded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it didn't really matter if you did or didn't have insurance. Yeah, you would still of, get treatment. They were either state-funded or church-funded. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, there is very little documentation of this one, but I explained it a minute ago to you. Um, them opening up the chest cavity and uh, exposing it to UV light. Um, there are pictures online of them attempting the surgery. You can't actually see anything per se, but you can see like where somebody's rib cage is open and there's a UV light over it. This procedure is nope, too much, too much like the Hellraiser movies do. It's I. That's the one procedure I, I saw, and I'm like, that's they were desperate there. Yeah, they I'm were sure. absolutely desperate. I mean, I guess if you're dying and there's no cure, you'll probably do anything. Oh yeah, absolutely. Even as the patient. And with um, doctors back then, around that time, this is something I also learned from my research. As doctors then were very, uh, very competitive in terms of who's going to be the first one to find this breakthrough. So they didn't share a lot of the information with oh, each other. So very. Similar and different than today. Yeah. Because we've got our medical association and things like that where we want to find breakthroughs. So back then they were just trying who was going to get the most business and get... Who who can get the most revolutionary revolutionary new breakthrough. Yeah, get the uh, notoriety. Like in, like in improv. Oh, who's going to have the most creative game now? Now it's who's going to have the most creative surgery to fix right. somebody. <laughs> so there was a morgue on site, but the morgue was used uh, mainly for the autopsy of patients that did not clearly die from TB. So the rest were sent down what's called the death tunnel. For prep and to be sent off. So they didn't even bother autopsying you if they were pretty certain you died of TB. Yeah, if it was pretty clear you died from TB, uh, you were sent down the death tunnel, and the death tunnel would uh, then take the body um, to a funeral home or something like that, wherever your family was designating it to go. It just sounds like it's a laundry chute. Yeah, there there were some legends out there that it was used uh, as a crematorium as well, but those are all false. Uh, It was never used as a crematorium. I had heard that. I had too, uh, and then I got in touch with uh, one of the historians, and she cleared that up for me, that it was never used as that. So there are many legends that are connected to Waverly Hills. Uh, the most common I'm sure you've heard of is probably Room 502, yep. I imagine. Room 502. Yep. So we'll get to Room 502 shortly, but I really want to dive into the death tunnel because <sighs> it wasn't it wasn't intentionally built to be a death tunnel. Really? Because mm. that's what I've always heard. So, you know, my, my experience with Waverly, I knew of two things, the 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 hauntedness and yeah. the death tunnels. So room 502 and death tunnel pretty much. Yeah. Well, room 502 came later in my life, yeah. but when I was a kid, it was, it was the death tunnels. And, uh, so I'm, <laughs> I've been we, we the even called tunnel. them the death shoots, you know, like yeah. body shoots. Uh, yeah. Body shoots. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm very interested to see, cause like I said, I've never been up there, so I don't know what they actually are like per se, besides yeah. a picture or two that I've seen. Yeah. I've been in the death tunnel, uh, once when I did an investigation there, and it was really funny because the people I was with, they uh, were like, hey, walk down as far as you feel like you can go without getting freaked out. I walked down pretty far and then got freaked out and head back because I started hearing like bangs and stuff like that in a concrete tunnel. I was like, okay, concrete should be making clanging sounds. Head back up and I asked them how far I got. They're like, oh, you made about a quarter of the way down. <laughs> I go, okay. <laughs> Jeez. I'm not as brave as I thought. So the death tunnel slash the body chute is one of the most important parts of the hospital uh, when it was running. It is known for taking the dead from the top of the hill uh, down from of the hospital down to the bottom where it could be where the body could be sent off to funeral homes and such for the families. Now, the biggest misconception of the tunnel is that it was a slide. It was not a slide. Yeah, that's what I thought. It, that's why I said I always thought it was a chute, like a laundry chute. Just Mm-mm. It, uh, it actually functioned off a rail car system. I mean, I guess that makes sense. I mean, you don't want... <laughs> You don't want them shooting down there <laughs> like like some sort of like water uh, slide. It brings a whole new meaning to the last ride. Your last ride is just down a slide. Yep. So the tunnel uh, actually functioned off a rail car system, as I said, and the steps uh, that were in it as well connected it 
to the main building uh, and the basement of the original hospital. Right, and now you had showed me a picture earlier, and so the rail car was actually on the ceiling, yeah. not on the floor. So yeah. it also takes away from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah, uh, sorry, it's you're like gonna a be mine a... car. <laughs> <laughs> no boulders going to be rolling So after basically you. it's like a flatbed mm-hmm. that's attached to some uh, cords or um, whatever to a rail car pulley system. Yeah. Okay. Now, the total tunnel in length uh, was 525 feet. Um, it was built off blocks. So it was concrete blocks is how it was built. So is it just one tunnel or is there multiple tunnels? It's just one tunnel. Oh, I always thought there were more. Uh, but they built it pretty well um, because even with like deterioration and stuff like that over time, 425 feet of the tunnel still remain. Wow. Yeah, so they, they built it pretty well. Now, before the tunnel was actually used for moving of the dead, uh, it had a whole other purpose. It was actually primarily used as a way to move supplies from the bottom of the hill uh, up to the top of the hill, such as coal and things like that. And then during like the really harsh winters, the staff would use it to get up to oh, the hospital. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, especially back then um, with all the snow and uh, lack of global warming, uh, things like <laughs> lack that. Lack of global warming. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably a lot harder to get up and down, especially if it rains and roads. Who knows what they were like at that point. Yeah. Um, but it reminds me of, I used to live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and there is the Sandia Mountains. Mm-hmm. And uh, on top of the mountain, it's two miles up. Yeah. It's, so it has the highest elevated restaurant mm-hmm. in North America. Yeah. And uh, they can't have ice cream and stuff up there because really? no matter what they do, because of the elevation, it melts. Huh. Um, but they do. They have a cable car that was originally made to bring up food to them mm-hmm. uh, because it would take too long to drive it up there. Uh, and so, uh, and they still bring up food and stuff like that because it gets it up there quicker uh, yeah. because there's no freezers. I mean, there, you know, especially back before the road was built, there was no freezer system you know, to take things up. And so that's what that reminds me of. And so I completely understand that getting uh, food and, and things like that had to be so much easier than navigating those woods. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. If you've ever been to Waverly Park and all that, it's it's still windy. <laughs> oh, there's there's legends of the woods itself. Oh. Uh, there's, there's creatures in the woods, so to speak. Now, you're probably asking yourself, Stefan, right now, you're probably asking yourself, well, this place was used for good things such as taking supplies and staff to get to their work safe why in the world is it called a death tunnel yeah why in the world (laughs) is it called a death tunnel well unfortunately uh the tb death tolls continue to rise and at a point it was about a death an hour they were experiencing yeah it's about at at its peak it was a death an hour yeah that that has that also tells me they were over uh, not booked. That's not the right word. But you no, know over I mean. over book sounds about right. Yeah, because a lot of them were sent there. Um, so as the death toll increased, the morale of the hospital decreased. So in order to try to bring the morale a little bit back up and not make it seem as doom and gloom, they started using it to transport the bodies to the bottom of the hill, so they couldn't see how many people are actually passing away and such. So that did help. And then uh, during World War II, the tunnel was also labeled to be used as a bomb shelter in case we were attacked. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Because the thing is very sturdy. So now we're going to get into room 502. Okay. First of all, I'm skeptical about this. Room 502? The fact that it's 502 and we're in area code 502. Yeah. Now, I will be honest with you. I am ignorant to how long area codes have been used. (laughs) Uh, How long have phone numbers been around? Yeah, I, well, that, no, that, that doesn't mean there were area codes back then. I mean, you know, only the rich people got phones back then. I got different bros and different area codes. <laughs> You're welcome. Area codes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm a little skeptical just simply based on the fact that it's room 502. Yeah. Could be coincidence. I don't know. Yeah, in the, the part of the building where room 502 is, is the fifth floor. Uh, and what the fifth floor was primarily used for... There was a lot of legend and rumor that it was used for uh, the site, like kind of the, the crazy patients, the ones that had psychological issues. Oh, so they had uh, a psych ward of people that had TB. Jeez, uh, that, that's, that was like kind of the legend and the rumor. Um, upon talking to a historian, I found out that room was actually, that floor uh, was used for some of the children and then was also used uh, as a nursing station and was also used as a supply area as well. So there were very rarely patients up on that floor. Was how many do you know how many floors there are? 5. 5. So five. so this was the top floor. Yeah, this is the top floor. So okay. when you look at the hospital, 
Um, it has like almost what looks like a clock tower at the very top. Mm-hmm. That's the fifth floor. It's a very small area. Okay. So the room has been the focal uh, point of many paranormal investigators, both those that have entered the building legally, which I highly recommend doing because it's a great time when you learn about it, or illegally, such as my co-host here who got caught. Nah. <laughs> don't tell people. Even well, though you I told did. them last episode. I don't care. I still have flashbacks of that, man. Yeah. I thought I was going to get shot. <laughs> yeah, it used, it used to be you could get into Waverly Hills pretty easy and sneak in, uh, but ever since the uh, the new family bought it, security is tight. Yeah, it, It's hard to get up there and actually sneak in anymore. So the fifth floor, it was like I said, it was rumored to keep the mentally insane, but it actually wasn't. It was uh, staffing for nurses and all that. Uh, but they did keep the children up there. In a way to help There was them. a playground on, on the roof, wasn't there? Yeah, because uh, with children in the early cases, they found that the easiest way to cure them was just to expose them to sunlight. So they built almost like a little swing set park on right. the top yeah, floor. Yeah, I've seen p- there's pictures on the Waverly website Yeah, uh, with the, with a picture of the, uh, the playground up there. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, so you can actually, you know, you can still see the playground up there. And like I said, it was used... So the kids could get the treatment they were supposed to get, but it wasn't seen as a treatment. It was like, hey, guys, go play outside. So it was a much more moral way of treating the kids than sure, some of the other stuff they did to the adults. The, yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Now, things witnessed in this part of the hospital are as followed. Uh, they hear a lot of doors slamming, uh, shadows moving across the walls, uh, and glassless windows. They'll see your, like reflections in glassless windows. So this is stuff they see now? Mm-hmm. This is still okay. pretty common. Uh, disembodied voices are often heard yelling get out. And it has also been reported of people seeing a spirit that looks like a nurse from time from the time period of when it was a hospital uh, jumping from the top of the building. So is this the room 502? Mm, this is the fifth floor. Okay. Yeah. Now the story I'm about to tell you guys is not for the faint of heart. Uh, so I highly recommend buckling up. I did edit this down quite a bit because there's a lot of stuff in this that we cannot talk about. So the story goes that in 1928, the head nurse in room 502 was found dead in room 502. The cause of the death death was suicide by hanging. She was 29 years old at the time of her death and allegedly unmarried and pregnant. Her depression over the situation is a belief that would led her to take her own life. They are unaware of how long she was hanging before she was discovered. Now, back then, for sure. I mean, if yeah. you were um, a single lady and pregnant, it, especially here in the Bible Belt, it was mm-hmm. a whole... I mean, you're ruined. Yeah, it was It was a very rough time, for sure. And now, these stories are all legend and lore. Uh, there's not a whole lot of actual documentation behind them. Now, the historian I talked to did say there is documentation behind uh, a nurse being found dead. But she said that the name has never actually officially been released, neither has the age or anything like that. Interesting. Because she still has family living to this day, and they want to keep her identity safe. Interesting. So in 1932, another nurse who worked in room 502 was said to have jumped from the roof patio to her death. Wait, so there's a second one? There's a second nurse. Oh, boy. So this room's cursed. It is absolutely cursed. Uh, They believe this spirit uh, is the one that has been witnessed jumping from the top of the building. And rumors are that she was actually pushed... But there's no supporting evidence. Uh, it's also rumored that she herself was also pregnant and unmarried. And something else that's interesting about this room in terms of hauntings is a lot of pregnant women that go up into this room, they experience uh, a lot of pains in their abdomen. They experience nausea out of nowhere. Ah. And some of them have been said to experience, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like like a like a drive to go leap off the building. Yeah. Like they'll get like a mental image in their, in their head of them jumping off the building. Wow. Oh, that's that room is definitely haunted. So now, quick question: mm-hmm. uh, Both of these women uh, were believed to have been pregnant. Yeah, both when were the believed to be pregnant. Happened. Yeah. Now, the first nurse I talked about. Uh, this is a story. It's it was on a website I found. It was like called the Thirteenth Floor or something like that. It's a paranormal website that talks about like stories and hauntings and legends and stuff like that. I am very skeptical of the story, but I'm going to share it anyway. So here's the story of what happened to the nurse from 1928. It is reported that her name is Mary. Now, everything about the unmarried and pregnant is still there. Now we add in a twist. It's legend that the father of the unborn child was a young doctor at the hospital. Oh, of course. Yeah. She was murdered and then set up to look like a suicide. 
the young doctor and what is reported to be three other men all connected to the hospital are believed to be involved in the horrific murder. The young doctor botched an abortion which caused Mary to bleed out. It is believed that she was already dead. In an attempt to make the incident look like the nurse had attempted the abortion herself, they set up a noose and hung her from a light fixture. Later, Mary was found, hanging from the light fixture in a blood-soaked gown. The baby uh, would be reported to be found in a ditch later, and the doctor had ran away from the site, never to be seen again. That does not surprise me. Like I said, back then, uh, it was a very different world. So Mm -hmm. not only would the female be ruined, but in some cases, the male, too, especially if it came to be true. And a doctor. Now, however, back then, the men usually got away with everything. And like I said, this this story slash legend, I'm skeptical about it. Because there's a lot of detail in it for something that goes undocumented. So, <laughs> right. we'll, so we'll probably, say this was just a story. So there's probably some truth yeah. that's been expanded into legend. Like it's, it's possible that the nurse that was found very well may have been connected with a doctor there. Right, and I, I feel like the two stories here probably came from the same source. It's possible. And a lot of, a lot of stuff is word of mouth when it comes from this. Sure. And as you know... You know, like playing the game telephone as a kid, mm-hmm. what you say to one person by the time it gets to person number 40 can be either completely different. Uh, and this is the non-skeptic side of me, but that's what makes it fun. <laughs> that it changes over time. Like yeah, that. that, you know, it gets, it's like my dad trying to tell a story about how he went to the grocery store. And it's just a quick five minute story. But by the time he's had his last beer and the 12th person he's told is an hour <laughs> and a half long and he met Jesus along the way. <laughs> and he, he stopped three robberies. Yeah. But yeah, so I completely understand that, and I'm with you as well, too. Already, like I said, I was skeptical just on 502. Yeah, just the room itself is just um, too coincidental. But just like the historian said, I think there is some basis to the truth that mm-hmm. there probably was a, a suicide or a murder that took place. Those things legit happen. Yeah, they, they and definitely And especially, happen. it is very viable that, that she was pregnant, and that was frightening to her. Yeah. So... Now we're going to get into what everybody's waiting for. The ghost of Waverly. That's my Scooby-Doo ghost. Oh, that's your Scooby-Doo yeah. ghost? No, I'll do it again. No, you don't have that. Okay, you're just going to do it anyway. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, third time. Yep, well, three times is three. Three is comedy. Yep. Three times is comedy. <laughs> so there's plenty of occurrences that happen at Waverly, uh, but before I get into the actual ghost itself, I want to tell you guys and you, Stefan, about my experience uh, doing an investigation there. Ooh, go ahead. So I told you all already about the death tunnel in terms of like walking what I thought was halfway down it, only to be in a quarter way down it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have an experience on the fifth floor where out of the corner of my eye, I saw somebody uh, like jump off of the oh, building. That's creepy. Um, it was kind of like a, if anybody's ever had a experience before, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about here. Out of the corner of your eye, you'll see something glowing and then you'll see it move and mm-hmm. do something. Essentially it was like corner of the eye type thing. Right. Um, some people try to tell me it was just me seeing a reflection of the moon, but Whatever. it was cloudy that night. There was no moon reflection. so It's more fun to believe. You tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the coolest experience we had there. Now, my wife is, she was pretty skeptical of the paranormal at this time, and up till about a month ago, she remained very skeptical. Yeah, we talked about that. Our wives are very similar. They're both, yeah. uh, they want to believe, yeah. uh, but they are more, I'm going to need some legit proof. Yeah. Than us as we're like, that door just opened up good, even though it could have been a gust of wind. <laughs> so on the, I believe it was the third or fourth floor. I can't remember exactly which floor we were on. But we got up there and the lead investigator uh, just needed a volunteer to walk down the corridor. Because this is where a lot of the intelligent hauntings happen. Mm-hmm. And what happens in this corridor is as you're walking down it, the spirits of the patients think you're a doctor. So they try to follow you. So my wife... Uh, was voluntold to go because nobody's volunteering. <laughs> so she starts. His wife is super short, by the way. Yeah. So I think it was kind of a mean move to grab yeah. her in the first place. <laughs> you go walk. You're tiny. Here's you the fit. tiny little one. You go instead of the big guy. Yeah. He's big guy. <laughs> I hate being called big guy. I do too. Uh, but she starts walking and you start, as she starts walking, you start hearing bangs coming from like a bunch of the random rooms. Nope. I'd be yeah. gone. <laughs> um, and probably the coolest part was she got to the end of the hall. She turned around about face and came back to us. And as she was doing that, you saw these shadow figures come out of the room and almost like marching behind her. There's just hordes of them. And then when she got to us, I guess there's almost like a a barrier the spirits can't go past for some reason. Right. 
And once she got past that point, they all, like, scattered back into their respective rooms. And it was kind of cool because, you know, the guy was like, all right, what did you experience? She's like, I felt like people were walking behind me. <laughs> Everybody's like, we did too! <laughs> yeah, we saw it. We totally saw it. We synced it. All right, now that's that's my story. So now I'm going to tell you guys about... No, that was your wife. That was my story. wife's story. <laughs> I just saw the person jumping off. Like, I, I feel and see things, but, like, I... And, of course, you heard the knocking and the banging in yeah. the um, Muerte tunnel. Yeah, that's that's enough for me. Now, we're going to talk about little Timmy. You like like Tiny Tim? No, no, not like Tiny Tim or, like, Timmy from South Park or anything like that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a little boy named Timmy. He is a ghost of Waverly. Oh boy! Um, it is. I'm going to tell you right now before yeah. we even get into this. Okay. There, there, there are two things that freak me out more than anything in the world. It's clowns. Okay. Classic, uh, and kids. Okay. Just and kids I mean, in general. No, 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 not kids Just in kids. general, and not clowns in general. Oh. But like when they're made up in horror movies and stuff like ghost that. Ghost kid clowns. Ghost kid. Don't. <laughs> I, I would that God, that would be the worst, scariest movie for me ever. But yeah, whenever kids get possessed or anything like that in a movie or anything like that, super freaks me out. Or kid ghost, I don't know what it is, freaks me out. And go and like clowns, um, of course, that's a classic one. But yeah, kids. So I'm already like, oh, well, I hope Tim is nice. I'm gonna get my niece to dress up as a ghost clown Mm-mm. and send her to your birthday. Nope. <laughs> nope. nope. I hope she's got life insurance. That's all I'm saying. Oh, that's rude. That, well, pause rude. I'm sorry. Pause rude. I'm scared. I react. Now, the legend is that Timmy was a six or seven year old boy uh, who was just another victim of TB at Waverly. Timmy has not moved on from Waverly and loves to play with the tourists and the visitors that come in. He likes to play ball more than anything. Oh, this is the kid that rolls the ball. Yeah. I saw this on Ghost Hunters. Yeah, this is one of the most uh, common ones, and this is what we consider an intelligent haunting, because Timmy only moves the ball when you ask him to. Right, and so it makes me wonder if uh, if Timmy is legit Timmy and not a demonic spirit or something. Yeah. Did his parents die there, and so he wants to stay with his parents, or had his parents already died when he was there, mm-hmm. and so he's just sticking around still waiting for him? See, that's that's a very good question, and unfortunately, that's something we'll never know. Like, why is he still there? Why hasn't he moved on yeah, yet? Yeah, who knows? That That's what I'm always curious about. So what, what you do, essentially, the ball thing, is you uh, you take a ball with you. It's primarily on the third and fourth floor that this happens. So you take the ball, you set it in the hallway, and then you pretty much ask Timmy to play ball with you, and he'll roll the ball towards you. And then sometimes he won't mess with it at all until you turn your back. And there's been reports of... Somebody will put the ball on the fourth floor, say, Timmy, play ball with me, and he won't move it. So then you'll go investigate on the third floor, and then as you're investigating on the third floor, the ball will come, like, bouncing down the steps. Oh, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Mm-mm. That's my check, please. Check, I'm please. Like, See you later. It's been nice. It's It's been good. All of a sudden, I'm Christian again. That's what it's like. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Cleanse this place of demons. Uh, but he's definitely a positive entity. He's never done anything uh, negative to anybody. He's never been malicious. So if any of our listeners do want to go to Waverly Hills and experience that, just take a ball with you. I'm sure Timmy will love the company. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, on one of the Ghost Hunters Live episodes, uh, there is footage of the ball moving. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. That That's one of the coolest ones I've seen. Yep. Now, with all good comes bad. Ugh. So to close out this episode, we're going to get into the dark entities that haunt Waverly Hills. Now... You have your good spirits and your shadow people, the pretty common ones, and they're mostly human-like uh, in nature, mm-hmm. but there's one entity in general that exists in Waverly Hills um, that, if seen, is a sign of terrible things to come your way. Is this what you mentioned at the end of the this last is, episode? This so, is the Creeper. I've been waiting for this. I'm not waiting for this. So, the Creeper is a shadow spirit. He is very rarely seen at Waverly, but he carries an aura of doom felt by anyone that crosses its path. Um, He doesn't walk. He crawls. So unlike the human entities that you experience at Waverly that walk and cast shadows, this one crawls. Um, It crawls along the floor. It crawls up the walls on the ceiling. Mm -mm. See ya. It is considered one of the most frightening experiences you can have at Waverly. Like already Timmy's freaking me out and he's good. Yeah. Like, mm. And now, if the creeper follows me to the death tunnel, <laughs> oh, man, I'm done. Now, I might not make it. Many believe that the creeper is an inhuman entity, possibly not of this dimension, that essentially the pain and suffering that had happened at Waverly is what caused him to cross over into this dimension. So attracted him. Interesting. Yeah. 
So we don't know how long the creeper has been seen there. So we're not necessarily saying demonic. No, we're just saying not of this world. Just something dark that discovered a, a good energy source. Well, you got to think. Our human nature tells us something we don't understand is bad. Right. So the creeper, it might not be a negative energy. It just might not be an energy we understand. Correct. And with all the death there, it's very easy to see how a creature could transition from one dimension to another. Mm-hmm. Now... Most spirits are seen very similar in death as they are in life. So this is why there's a lot of speculation the Creeper isn't human. Because what human do you know that spider crawls up a wall other than the Exorcist movie? Or Spider-Man. Or Spider-Man himself. Yeah, both um, fiction. But, well, Spider-Man, no, he's not fiction. He's in New York. Why would he come down here? <laughs> now, there's one more spirit I didn't tell you about. Oh, no. Uh, this one you'll be pretty familiar with. The Doppelganger. Mm, mm -mm. Even though the Doppelganger is one of my favorite bands here in Louisville, uh, (laughs) here on 100.9 FM, WCHQ, all local all the time. Uh, I love Doppelganger, but that's not what you're talking about. You're speaking of the ancient term Doppelganger. The ancient Doppelganger. Mm -mm. I do not like Doppelgangers. For those who don't know what a Doppelganger is, um, essentially it it is a dark spirit that takes the form of another person. Nope. And it's a legend that if you meet your own doppelganger, it means instant death. Now, one of the interesting things that happened to me at Waverly is I thought I saw my tour guide, but then found out that he wasn't even in the same room I was in. Mm-mm. So when I went to the room and found him, I was like, oh, I thought you were over there. He's like, oh, yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> so the thing about the doppelganger is you don't know when you're interacting with him because it takes on the form of those around you. Yeah. And like I said, if you see yourself, run. The thing about the doppelganger, it's a very ancient spirit, as you mm-hmm. said. And people still aren't sure why exactly it goes where it goes. It just mm-hmm. kind of exists. It's, uh, what do they call them? They're uh, elementals. Oh. They're considered elemental spirits. Yeah. Um, and yeah, absolutely. And there's so many great horror movies with that. Doppelgangers are a classic horror trope that works every time yeah um and it's a good twist especially you know if you didn't recognize that something had changed uh things like that and and isn't there's like tale of them following you home or yeah there's some tales of uh, doppelgangers attaching themselves to people right um the the most common one you hear about is those that have lost loved ones Mm -hmm. and the doppelganger will take the shape of the loved one they've lost and essentially the person will connect themselves and fall in love with the doppelganger and keep it around uh that's kind of very similar to bird box a little bit if you had watched the netflix original movie yeah that was that was actually a really good movie um i think it got a little more hype than it really needed for sure but yeah i mean definitely they they would always see someone they lost yeah someone they lost or something they feared and ladies and gentlemen with the doppelganger that is waverly hills uh so yeah freaked out as usual um (laughs) So much craziness. I mean, just between the experiments, uh, you know, just the possible suicides. Yeah. You know, the uh, we it was great because we got to debunk the insanity uh, asylum aspect, mm-hmm. um, though I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were probably some crazies in there. Sure, absolutely. Crazies is not the PC term, um, but um, back then it was. The <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, gosh, man, there's just so much there. And it's it, it's interesting because... People have stories. They absolutely know? do. They absolutely do. And they're, and we haven't even touched the surface. Um, there's a lot more stories and legends and hauntings and things like that. These are just some of the, the bigger ones. And, yeah. Um, there's more experiments and things like that that they did. Um, and, and you can see there's there's documentation if you you know go to the website, which we were talking about, which you said was therealwaverlyhills.com. Yes, sir. That is it. Yeah. So go to that. Um, look up. You can see some history on that. I believe they have a Facebook page as well. Check that out. Uh, contact the historical uh, aspect of that if you need more information. There's plenty of books here in Louisville. Like check your local bookstores like Carmichael's and things like oh, that. Yeah. There's going to be those books there. Um, but yeah, check that out and go go do some tours. Have some fun. I mean, we have something really really cool here. And I want it to become a hotel, so go fund it. Yeah. So <laughs> we have a we have something you know that's considered one of the most haunted places in America, if not the world. So go check that out for sure. And uh, but yeah, I'm scared. I, I like I really really want to go, but I'm freaked out <laughs> like just years and years of freaking myself out and now hearing all these legends and stories ahead of time i'm like oh no i believe this stuff way too much i'm gonna <laughs> go home and be sitting next to sarah my wife and then look next to me and there she is again and i'm gonna be like we done i got two wives well, what about Something's you because right you here. you got to be there so 
you know, you 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 have a different perspective than I do. Oh, I definitely i I know it's haunted. I believe in its hauntings. It's a very it's it's both creepy and peaceful at the same time, right? Because it's such a quiet place, but there's so much energy that's stored in those walls. And I hope one day it does become a hotel because I will definitely stay there. And if room 502 is like some kind of executive suite, <laughs> I'm going to do my darndest to get the funds and stay in that room. Right. Just so I can say I did. Um, and speaking of that, so, you know, you just said you had some stories. Yeah. Um, here in a minute, we're going to get into our listener story from uh, Tracy. And uh, but, you know, we want to get your stories, too. Uh, part of that is if you have your own stories from Waverly, we'd love to hear those as well. Or if you've got some information that we don't have, we could absolutely revisit this. So uh, please send us your your stories of Waverly or, like I said, any haunting stories or anything that's happened to you, whether you've seen a UFO or you've had experiences or your family has experiences that they talk about and things like that. Send those to Fearscape Stories at WCHQFM.com. And uh, we, we can play those. You can either uh, just type those out into a story form. We'll read them. Or you can send us an audio file or we can set up a Google Drive if we need to get a bigger file. Whatever we need to do, we want to hear those. Uh, and and we, we could share that here or even on our podcast. Yeah, we have our own podcast, which is a separate entity from this one. If you want to see me and Stefan or hear us a little more uncut, uh, you can find us at, on the social medias at Fearscape Pod on the Instagrams and the Twitters, or you can go to the DestinationComics.com website and look under their podcast. You'll see Fearscape on there. Uh, we cover more worldly events. We we just finished the Walton incident, mm-hmm. which was absolutely incredible episode. Yeah, so that definitely. was the basis for Fire in the Sky. Yeah. Uh, we have a co-host that uh, does not join us here, but her name is Kelly Casey. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's amazing as well. She's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, we touch on all kinds of stuff. Uh, that we don't touch here and it is a little more adult oriented so don't let the kids listen to that one Um, but not only that uh, like I said check us out on that social media not only can you check out Fearscape but you can check out us as well look at us yeah so you can find me there uh, on Instagram and Twitter at improv is law uh, so check out me. I, we're comedians, so we definitely put some stuff out there. We're, we're a part of an improv, improv troupe called Sidetracked Improv. So we definitely do shows, uh, and we post those on Twitter and Instagram and, and such. And then you can find me on the Twitters and Instagrams at Bzilla underscore comedy. Twitter was a little nicer to me this week. I'll give them a break. <laughs> That's right. Well, let's get into this listener story. So this story comes from a listener named Tracy Hutcherson. And so she's got a great story, so I'm just going to let her... Uh, tell the story. I mean, I'm going to read it, but I'm going to tell her. It's your voice, but her words. Yeah, man. It's a good one. So listen up. (laughs) I live in Roswell, New Mexico. Sorry to disappoint you, but my story is not an alien one. About eight years ago, my family lived in a haunted house. At the time, it was my boyfriend and our three kiddos in the house. My youngest was one at the time, and my oldest was six. The first experience. My boyfriend was asleep next to me, and I couldn't sleep, so I was up on my phone. It was after two in the morning, but not sure the exact time, and I was wide awake. The house was quiet. And all the lights were off. Kids were in bed. And then I heard... Loud and deep. A man's voice. Deeper than my boyfriend's voice. No way it could have been him. As the voice came from the foot of my bed near the door of our room. My first thought was not even close to being paranormal. I thought it was a home intruder. So I wake up my boyfriend, whose name is Merle. I wake him up and I'm shaking him and I'm, I'm panicking. And I told him, wake up, wake up, someone's in the house. So he wakes up and he's freaked out because he can visibly see how scared I am. I'm shaking there, I'm, I'm in tears. So he grabs a hockey stick, which is our only form of protection at the time. And he walks around the house. He checks on the children and everything, but he didn't find a thing. So he goes back out the back door and walks the perimeter of the house all the way around and back to the alley. Still nothing. 
Then he comes back inside and he decides to check the garage. He walks toward it slowly and quietly, listening for any activity. But he hears nothing. So he reaches for the doorknob, and just before he touches it, it begins shaking and jiggling violently. He said his heart started hammering as he flung the door open, but there was nothing there. And then a few weeks passed. It was about the same time, middle of the night. But this time I was asleep. And we, Merle and I, were both woken up with a big crashing sound. My heart was hammering, thinking about the last time and we got up to see what made the noise. Outside of our room down the hall is a laundry closet where we would keep our laundry detergent and we always push it back on the shelf all the way back to the wall because it's big jugs and they're heavy and very full laundry detergent. And then the very, very big one crashed down to the floor. Every drop of it spilled out of the container right in front of the washing machine. But the jug? The jug was all the way down the hall, probably 10 to 12 feet away, if not more, by our bedroom door. There is no logical explanation that I can think of. There was no other laundry detergent besides the puddle on the floor. No drips or splashes as if it had even bounced that far. If it had bounced that far, there's no way the entirety of the spill would have been 12 feet away. We had several other experiences there before we moved, but those are the ones that solidified my belief in the paranormal. Aliens. 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 It's always aliens. It's Roswell. It's aliens. Um, yeah, no. So that was Tracy. Uh, she is a listener and friend. I like that story. And uh, absolutely. That's a good story. Um, so please send those in to us. Um, but yeah, let's get out of here. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Fearscape FM here on 100.9 FM WCHQ. Uh, I have been your host, Stefan Gerhardt, and I will catch you on the flip side. And I've been your other host, Mr. Brad McQuery. Hold those blankets extra tight. Night, night, y'all. So glad you were able to join us for that horrifying discussion. I hope they didn't frighten you too much. <laughs> Tune in next week for even more research into the nightmarish and haunting creeps and spooks that we tell ourselves don't exist, but we know they do. Make sure you have your blankets that you hold them extra tight. Next time on Fearscape. <laughs>